Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome as our guest, David Harmer. David, thank you and welcome to the program. Thanks, Arch. Great to be with you. Well, it's, it's a privilege to have you. Listeners, uh, David is the president and chief executive officer of the Freedoms Foundation. And David's going to give you a little bit of his background, then we'll get right into the topics that he'd like to share with us today. So, David, please share a little bit of your background with our listeners so they can be familiar with you a little bit. You bet, Arch. So, um, probably the most important thing to say is I'm the oldest of 10 kids. Wow. And uh, nothing I learned in college or law school stoked my love for America and her founding ideals as much as my mom, who um, was a real patriot. She just raised all 10 of us to feel lucky to have been born here, mm. uh, grateful for the blessings of American citizenship and anxious to give back in some way to do our part. So I, uh, I hope mom's uh, looking down from the next life on uh, Freedom's Foundation at Valley Forge and uh, smiling because I ended up here. I'm uh, I'm an attorney by training, and I spent about half my career as a banking lawyer. When uh, big banks would really annoy their regulators, I would parachute in and help uh, <laughs> get, uh, get things kosher. Um, but uh, uh, I, you know, I, I always I've just been fascinated by human liberty and how wonderful its presence is and how dreadful its absence is. And so along the way, I kept taking little detours into public policy or public service. Uh, I served as counsel to a subcommittee of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. I was a fellow of the College of Public Interest Law at Pacific Legal Foundation. Um, I was a resident fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and I did some publishing through the Cato Institute. So when I was recruited to lead Freedom's Foundation at Valley Forge, I, I finally understood what all of that was leading to. This is just exactly where I belong, and I, I couldn't be happier. How long have you been the CEO, David, of Freedom's Foundation? I'm in my fifth year here, and uh, hope that I can do this for the rest of my career. Well, I hope personally you have 50 more years at the Freedoms Foundation. And our listeners know, David, that I talk often of the Freedoms Foundation and my connection to the foundation and my love for the foundation. And listeners, I want you to know that I met David five years ago when he became CEO. And I thought the first time I met him that no one could be this nice. And over these five years, I've seen David in many different circumstances and spent a week together this past summer on a bus. And he is exactly as nice as that first time I met him. Uh, David loves America. He loves our savior. He's a great American. He's a patriotic American. And we certainly appreciate all that you are doing and have done for the foundation. And David, I don't think I've ever told you this, but you were the first CEO of the Freedoms Foundation that I've ever honestly talked to on any level. And uh, I certainly appreciate that. And I certainly appreciate everything that you're doing with the foundation, for the foundation, and for the, the kids and the teachers of America. So uh, I personally want to thank you for doing all what you do. 
Well, Arch, thank you. I uh, please accept a uh, a little bow and a big blush from Valley Forge. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, share with us, please, or begin to share with us because you have written so many articles over the past several years, and the topics that you want to share with our listeners they're, they're so good and they're so valuable and so timely. So, whatever you like to share, you have the floor. So, the floor is yours. Well, thank you so much. You know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you something I've been uh, just brooding over lately. Um, Freedom's Foundation at Valley Forge, the uh, civic education organization I'm privileged to lead, is approaching its 75th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, we'll celebrate that all year in, in 2024. So it's it's coming closer. And just two years after that, of course, is the semi-quincentennial of America's independence, the 250th birthday of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So I've been thinking about anniversaries, milestones, and um, in preparation for those events, our 75th anniversary and the, the 250th anniversary of the Declaration, I've been going back to see what people said on previous milestones. Now, on the 150th anniversary, of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, our president was Calvin Coolidge. And boy, they don't make him like they used to. Uh, you know, <laughs> Coolidge was, he was so frugal that he wouldn't waste a syllable, let alone a dollar. Yes. Um, he was probably our last real penny-pinching president. The story is told of a distinguished guest at a party who uh, was bet that she couldn't get Coolidge to say three words. She shared that fact with him, and he looked at her sympathetically and said, you lose. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, President, I mean, now, of course, it seems like anybody in politics feels that the more they talk, the better. But President Coolidge was a man of few words, but the words really mattered. And so on his speech commemorating the 150th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, he said this. About the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we've had new thoughts and new experiences, which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But Coolidge goes on to say this. That reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the government, that is final. No advance, President Coolidge says, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward. Hmm. Backward toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. And then he concludes, those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the Revolutionary Fathers. Hmm. Isn't that magnificent? It's absolutely magnificent. And how apropos is that to what we see going on today, Evan? 
Well, it really was prescient, I think, of President Coolidge because you now have overt claims. They're not good history, but they make good polemics, I guess. You know, America's founding ideals were illusory from the start, false when they were written. For example, the New York Times Magazine a couple of years ago published the 1619 Project with the overt aim of changing the perception of America's founding. And uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the author of the original essay, said our democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. That America really wasn't founded by the Mayflower Pilgrims. It was founded in Jamestown by slaveholders and slave traders. Well, um, no one claims, no one reputable claims that there's any excuse for human bondage. But you know, in how many nations back in that day was slavery illegal? Mm -hmm. It was actually widely practiced throughout every continent including, tragically, this one. But it was practiced by the aboriginal inhabitants of this continent, not merely the European settlers. It was practiced by the indigenous peoples of Africa, and not merely those from elsewhere who would trade them. So the remarkable thing isn't that slavery existed. The remarkable thing is that slavery was eradicated. Yes, yes. And what laid the groundwork for its eradication was the very Declaration of Independence that is criticized in these articles. The assertion that all were created equal, endowed by their creator, not by public policy or government or any other sovereign, but by their creator, with certain inalienable rights, that among these were life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, it goes on to say, governments were instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's the principle on which President Lincoln relied in leading the Union to victory. And his explanation of why he did it was so simple. He said, one section of our country believes slavery is right and ought to be extended, while the other believes it is wrong and ought not to be extended. This is the only substantial dispute. And he was right. David, how did we get from the words that you just quoted from President Coolidge to where we see the writings today of the 1619 Project and so many people just willing to accept that viewpoint without really doing extensive reading on our founders? You know, Arch, that's a good question, and it's probably a bigger one than I'm equipped to answer. Um, It is an unfortunate feature of democracies that they occasionally ripen into self-loathing. Jean-Francois Ravel wrote a book back in uh, the 80s, How Democracies Perish. You know, sometimes the vigorous virtues that give rise to a robust economic and moral health, allow an ease that gives people the luxury of focusing on peripheral things, trivial things. Um, Maybe more fundamentally, this isn't a new conflict. You know, there's always been people who prefer to be free and a different group that prefers to rule. I guess what's baffling is some people are willing to be ruled. Um, seem to welcome subservience to a strong man. I'm not one of them, and I don't think uh, the majority of our fellow citizens are among them, but, you know, there are some people who uh, 
find their identity, I suppose, in groups or categories rather than in their own individuality. Wherever that conflict comes up, I think the, the real progressives are those who endorse the, the ideals of America's founding. Uh, equality before the law, freedom to go as far as your uh, effort and opportunity will take you. And David, I know you and I and so many people just revere our Constitution and the amazing, miraculous document that it is. And you share with me, please, our listeners, it, it doesn't appear to me that people that hold to these different viewpoints, they don't have that same reverence for our Constitution as we do from a different perspective. Well, you know, few things are as pleasurable as confessing someone else's sins. And I think, uh, you know, nothing can give a, a scholar or journalist such a frisson of self-satisfaction mm -hmm. as uh, finding oneself morally superior to the founding fathers. Um, but look, let's start by acknowledging the sin reads, but they are nevertheless upon which they base these conclusions. The Constitution had to incorporate a lot of compromises to come into existence. So it counted slaves as three-fifths of a person for purposes of congressional representation. It prohibited Congress from ending the importation of slaves before 1808. It prohibited the states from emancipating fugitive slaves. Now, these are reprehensible provisions, no question about it. But they were the cost of creating the Union, and the Constitution itself contained the seeds of their destruction. Yeah, uh, Congress was prohibited from ending the importation of slaves before 1808. That meant, by implication, it was expected to end the importation of slaves after 1808, and it did. You know, probably the best perspective on the Constitution's defects, if such they are, is that of Frederick Douglass, an American slave. Uh, Frederick Douglass after witnessing the harshness of, of slavery, witnessing uh, the torture and even murder of family and friends, and finally escaping from slavery him, uh, himself, you know, his initial opinion of the country was pretty sour. He said, in such a country as this, I cannot have patriotism. The only thing that links me to this land is my family and the painful consciousness mm. that here there are three million of my fellow creatures groaning beneath the iron rod of the worst despotism. Well, those are harsh words, but you can't blame him. You know, I mean, he was born and raised in slavery and he suffered in slavery. But having escaped, he was invited to speak at meetings of the American Anti-Slavery Society. Now, the president of that society, William Lloyd Garrison, uh, felt that the Constitution was fatally flawed. He considered those provisions I mentioned, you know, slaves, three-fifths of a person, can't end the importation of slaves before 1808, can't emancipate fugitive slaves. Garrison thought that meant the Constitution ought to be trashed and we ought to do something better. But Douglas, who himself had suffered as much as a human being can suffer under slavery, the more he studied, the more he became convinced that the Constitution was his ally, not his adversary. Oh. Mm -hmm. The key to his liberation, not 
the uh, authorization for his captivity. Douglas saw that the framers of the Constitution were ashamed of those provisions. Nowhere in the document did they use the word slavery or slave. They always employed circumlocution or euphemism. You know, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit. So Douglas eventually broke with Garrison. He said, interpreted as it ought to be, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. Read its preamble. Consider its purposes. Is slavery among them? Is it at the gateway or is it in the temple? It is neither. The Constitution will be found to contain principles and purposes entirely hostile to the existence of slavery. And he was proven right with the help of Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. You know, there's a lot of people who don't know their history very well who insist that uh, the Civil War was really about fixed rights. It wasn't about slavery, but, you know, Robert E. Lee and the the Southerners were just, you know, fighting for uh, their independence from central government. That's balderdash. South Carolina, the first state to secede, justified its secession explicitly because the free states were denouncing slavery and refusing to enforce fugitive slave laws. And then, you know, worst of all, they'd elected President Lincoln, who was hostile to slavery. So South Carolina said, that's why they're quitting. We want to keep slaves and the union doesn't. Uh, Alexander Stevens, the Confederate vice president, who is, I'm sure, rotting in hell right now where he deserves to be, explicitly repudiated America's founding ideals. He explicitly grounded the Confederacy in racism. So when people say the United States was founded on a lie, that those who promulgated the Declaration of Independence really didn't believe that all men were equal, I would ask, well, how do you explain the Civil War then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true this continent once hosted a new nation conceived in slavery, that wasn't the United States of America, that was the Confederate States of America, and half a million gave their lives, restore the correct understanding of the Constitution. Uh, Lincoln explained why the Union fought, and it was quite simple. To vindicate the founding of a new nation, conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Mm. Um, what he said at Gettysburg was the capstone of America's founding. And David, we revere our founders, but even our founders understood that as great a document that the Constitution is, they gave the opportunity to be able to amend it, to amend it over time as situations brought forth. And so we we believe in you and I, I believe in, and a lot of us believe in the original intent. And today we see so many people just believing, thinking that they can make the Constitution say whatever it wants to say to change it. And uh, your quote from Calvin Coolidge, I think, absolutely refutes that idea. Well, you know, uh, Arch, I uh, the principles um, articulated in the Declaration and implemented in the Constitution are timeless. They are permanent, and I think they're irrefutable. Um, but the founders never claimed to have finished the work. They yes. only claimed to have started the work. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, when we have uh, 
your your listeners may know because you do so much more, uh, so much for Freedom's Foundation. But just for anybody listening to us now who who doesn't, during the school year, we here at Freedom's Foundation at Valley Forge bring high school students from around the country to Valley Forge for these multi-day immersive, intensive, experiential educational programs in the history and ideals and continuing relevance of America's founding. And during the summer, we do something similar for teachers. We provide um, week-long professional development courses for them, looking at America's founding ideals. And, uh, you know, when people come to these programs, I'll often ask, when was the American founding complete? And sometimes people will say, well, you know, July 4th, 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was promulgated. And others will say, well, uh, you know, 1787, when the Constitutional Convention finished its work in Philadelphia, or 1789, when, uh, you know, ratification occurred and uh, President Washington took office. But if we ask a few questions, um, we come to learn that the founding is a work in progress. The Declaration of Independence inaugurated the American experiment, but to do what it said, uh, to abolish a government that did not regard natural rights and to institute a new government that protected those rights, well, that took eight years of the Revolutionary War and then a few years of chaos under the Articles of Confederation and then couple years to get the Constitution ratified. So declaring independence was the easy part. Securing it you know, took another uh, decade plus. But you know, even after the war for independence was won or settled by the Treaty of Paris, uh, even after the miracle of Philadelphia, the convention that created the Constitution, even after ratification, which was a hard-fought, close contest, well, the work of the founders still wasn't complete. Several states conditioned the ratification on pledges to add a Bill of Rights. Uh, Congress complied. The states soon ratified those first 10 amendments. Um, was the work of the founding done then? Well, of course not. We've just been talking about, a, you know, it took the Civil War to test, in President Lincoln's words, whether a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal could long endure. Thankfully, it did. But it took the Civil War to get the 13th Amendment, which prohibited slavery, and the 14th, which extended equal protection of the law to all, and the 15th, which ensured the right to vote regardless of race or color or previous servitude. So was the work of the founding complete then? Well, no. Um, There was still... Uh, you know, uh, tragically, generations of Jim Crow uh, in the unreconstructed South. And uh, the civil rights movement was an extension of the founding ideals. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, explicitly grounded his work in the founding ideals. He wasn't repudiating them. He wasn't denouncing them. Uh, He said the founders had written a promissory check and it was Time to cash it. Time to make it do. <laughs> and the work of the founding remains incomplete today. The freedoms we enjoy were secured for us by our forefathers at the highest price, but bequeathed to us as gifts. Preserving them and extending them is up to us. 
And David, we are unfortunately up against time for this segment. So we want to continue this discussion in our next program. So we want to thank you for sharing with our listeners these concepts and and sharing with us these ideals that we hold to be very true. So thank you for sharing, David, this part of it. And we look forward to continuing this discussion on our next program. Thank you, Arch. It's a privilege to have you. This is David Harmer. He is the president and chief executive officer of the Freedoms Foundation with us. And listeners, we're going to continue this discussion in our, our next program. This is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.